You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. So hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm really pleased today to be joined by Coach Pete Walsh. Um, I'll allow Pete to introduce himself um, in a second, um, but I've been a fan of Pete's work for uh, for a little while now. Um, he's over in the States um, and he's doing some great work over there. And I thought today's session would be a really good opportunity to see how family businesses can learn from athletes and musicians um, through using something called deliberate practice which um, Pete's a, a big fan of so firstly Pete hi and welcome to the family business podcast Russell thanks for uh, inviting me on I'm excited to be here and get to talk a little bit about family business great um, so I guess the the starting point would be to um, give our, our audience an overview of who you are um, what you do with a bit of background of your career today if that's okay I'd love to do it. So I'm a business coach in Phoenix, Arizona, in the Western United States. I was actually born into a family business. Our family business was founded in 1919 in the States here. My grandfather started a typewriter company, actually, mm-hmm. in the Western United States. And so when by the time I came along, that business was about 50 years old. And then when I got out of high school and college, I went into the family business. And one of my life dreams was to grow up and run the family business. Um, we by then were a commercial interiors dealer. So we sold furniture, office furniture. Mm-hmm. I spent 16 years climbing the ladder in our family business. We had 300 employees. And when I got near the top, I started to realize my uncle and I had some very different views about certain parts of the business and certain ways that we looked at things. And I started to have a very um, you know, stressful realization that my lifelong dream to run the family business was potentially not going to work out. I was in my mid to late 30s. About at that same time, I lost two very dear friends of mine at a young age. I lost two brothers and I started to realize that life was short. And I started to really take a hard look at my uncle, the business, myself, And I started to realize that I might have to do something different. And so over the process of a few years, I started to really explore what was most important to me and what I needed to do to make the rest of my life work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for a lot of people in a family business, like for myself, the part of the challenge of it was that I loved my uncle. I still love him to this day. We have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. But these these differences were really causing real friction between us and in our family. And so then at the age of 38, 
I uh, resigned from our family business, and uh, it was quite quite a uh, decision. Mm. The employee. The employees were very surprised. My family was very surprised. I had been there for 16 years. But I realized that I had to uh, achieve that independence. I had to go carve my own path if I was going to find joy in the rest of my life. And, uh, and so what happened was my wife and I were at church, actually. And what I like to say is that I'm um, highly spiritual, mm-hmm. although not highly religious. And uh, the sermon was about finding your special gift. And I prayed in that moment and said, help me find what my special gift is, because I know I can hit a home run for you. Those were my exact words. Right. And three days later, I was at lunch with a friend of mine, and she said she had a coach. And I said, what's a coach? She had a business coach. I said, what's a coach? And she told me somebody that helped them develop their plans and hold them accountable. Uh-huh. And I said, you're kidding. That's a job? I didn't even realize that. <laughs> My life turned on a dime. And uh, I started studying coaching uh, and then had the courage and purpose to leave my family business. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so I started my coaching company. 18 years ago, and I coach leaders and companies all over the states. And then about halfway into that, some folks said I should come coach family businesses. And I said, you know, I don't think so, because that's such a painful thing. And they said, no, with your background, you really ought to come help family businesses. And so I got introduced to some family businesses and I realized that I could really provide a lot of outside perspective and help. And so now I work with family businesses all over the states. And we, uh, as we'll get into a little bit later, have built some tools that we're giving to family businesses all over the world and uh, really helping families find uh, purpose and passion in their family business. Fantastic. That's quite a journey, isn't it? You know, it really is. It's funny. I say to people sometimes, again, my life's dream was to run my family business, but through a few twists of fate and a little help from the the person upstairs, uh, I now get to help family businesses all around. So it turned out You know, Russell, in my business, I really love growing and developing people. Mm. I wasn't in love with our business, which was selling cubicles and desks and chairs. So really, as it turned out, and what I do with families is I help people really get in touch with what are they passionate about? What are their inherent strengths? What just really excites them to get up every day? And, you know, there's a lot of people that kind of fell into their family business but when they wake up every day it's really not something they love to do yeah so i really try to encourage people to do some of their own you know self-reflection introspection and find out what is what is your gift what do you really love to do and you know for some people they can find a way to express that in the family business but for others they have to come to the realization that 
you know, they may have to do something else. Mm. And, and that's often difficult, isn't it, when, when there's family involved? I mean, your, your own story highlights that, that there's a shockwave that went through the, the business and the family at the point you decided to move on. Um, so it can be a very difficult and a very courageous step to take, I think. Well, and so one of the things, and I know we're going to get into that a little bit, but one of the things that I work with families on now is what we call employment policy. Mm-hmm. And employment policy is to have everybody in the family go work someplace else for a couple of years professionally, minimally, before they come work in the family business. And it's so important because, again, for so many family business members, they just get out of school, they go into the family business, and all of a sudden they look up and they're 35, 40 years old, and they start to have a longing for, what if I'd have done this? Or what if I'd have been a firefighter? Or what Mm. if I had become a doctor? And so... I really, one of the things that I do for families is I help give them the courage to make some of those decisions. So we say to these young folks that want to come into the family business, go do something else for a couple of years. And a lot of great things happen. They get good experience. They get feedback from the marketplace outside of their own family as to their own value and ability to advance in their career. And then if you'd like, come back into the family business. And, you know, then the family business benefits from those outside experiences as well. So I really feel very strongly about that. I've got some families I'm working with right now, and I can see how challenging it is for them to draw that line in the sand, but it's really an important thing to do. Yeah. And typically, who is it that sort of initiates the the relationship with you? Because uh, I'm I'm guessing I may be wrong, but it's a point where there's some frustrations or or, um, pain points within the business. Um, Is it typically the um, sort of business owner that is um, calling you in or is it the, the next generation who are feeling this frustration? You know, it's a, it's uh, usually uh, one or the other for sure. What I say sometimes, it's somebody who has a vision, somebody who has the courage, the determination for a change. So, you know, when I'm very fortunate, it's a visionary founder that says, wow, I really need to bring in some tools to help grow and develop and accelerate our family. Sometimes it's a frustrated next gen like I was Mm -hmm. that is saying, boy, I need to find a way to fix this problem. But it's funny that you say, because one of the tools that I created is called the landmine detection map, because what I what happens, Russell, unfortunately, and uh, is that people will call after really significant damage has occurred Mm -hmm. and ask for my help. And, you know, so this is like if I blew off my left arm and then I went over to the doctor and said, sew it back on, you know, it would be better to, to do some work while everything was still attached. So, so some families come to us when they've had some really difficult things happen, but a lot of them come when they can just feel that things aren't right. And they know that it's a real threat to their business and their family. Mm. And that, that's the important side of it as well, isn't it? It's because in a non-family business, you, you can leave uh, the frustrations at work and you can go home and 
express your frustrations with your family, but if uh, if they're one and the same, it becomes a, a trickier um, thing to do. It really does, and many people feel a bit trapped. Or then, and same thing in my family, my young wife, well, you know, that just impacts her and how she looks at the family or how she looks at my uncle when we are at, uh, you know, our holiday dinner. Now, there were a lot of things that we did right. And even back then, I practiced with my wife and my kids. Like when we went to the holiday dinner, we had great happiness and good times. And so, again, one of the practices that I try to help families do is to create boundaries is what we call them. So even if my uncle and I were having a heated debate about something in the business. When I walked into that holiday dinner, I gave him a big hug. We enjoyed family stories, you know, so sometimes people have a hard time. And in fact, they ask me that a lot. They say, how do I separate this business and this family? But, you know, it's like, it's a mindset. It is a conscious decision to make that when I walked in that room to give him a big hug and not carry the business uh, energy into the holiday dinner. But a lot of families struggle with that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and so when you start working with these uh, families, you, you say you've uh, developed some tools and, and techniques. And um, you mentioned on your uh, website, which we'll uh, put in the show notes, that you, you use techniques um, learned from, from athletes and musicians um, uh, called uh, deliberate practice. Uh, can, you, can you explain a little bit more about that for us? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Even when I was in my business, and I was thinking about this this morning, one of the things in, in the book I wrote, Coach to Win the Leadership Game, I played baseball as a young uh, person here. I wasn't terribly good at it, quite honestly, but I had a coach, and his name was Bill Shover, and Bill made us practice, practice, practice. We would practice these drills, so when we were in the game and certain things happened, we had rehearsed it so many times, and I started using that, those techniques in our family business even before I got into coaching. I really discovered formally coaching, but deliberate practice is been proven over a 20-year period of time. There's a gentleman in Florida State University, Kay Anders Erickson is his name, and he studied high-performing athletes, musicians, physicians, and he found that the top performers practiced a certain way. And what he found was that deliberate practice had a few key components. One is that it stretched you past your current capacity. Secondly, it was intended to help you build one specific skill. And third, it was to have a measurable result. So with the families, I might stretch them out of their comfort zone in terms of having difficult conversations with each other, learning to clearly express themselves, learning to take on conflict. So, so deliberate practices do stretch you out of your comfort zone and they do help you reach new levels of performance. And so I got really intrigued by that concept. And, you know, Russell, it's one of the things I feel so strongly about in business and even in life, I guess I would say, we don't give ourselves time to practice. Yeah. And so, you know, I went and saw 
uh, an orchestra play recently. And these are very, very talented musicians. And they came out on stage before the performance started. And they started doing these little exercises with their lips and with their instruments. And later I got to meet some of those people. And I said, why are you doing that? And they said, we're stretching, we're warming up, we're kind of, you know, tuning up before the before the performance. And so, you know, even the most talented performers still need to practice to play at a high level. So I, I really think it, it translates well into business and into families and into communication. And so I really got onto that idea and then started designing deliberate practices for our business way back then. And, but then I started to translate those into family business practices. Right. And I guess this is what you see with, um, athletes on the, the start line for the 100 meter sprint um, practicing their start uh, exactly. and they've had years of training and, and they're still practicing right up to the point that the um, gun goes off at, uh, in the race Well, but here's the other thing and there's this concept that I have in my work called reflective practitioner mm-hmm. and what that means is someone who thinks about how they're going to perform then they perform And then they come back and look at their performance and see ways that they could do it even better. So, again, when I think about Olympic athletes, you know, you rarely come across an Olympic athlete and say, what are you focusing on in your performance? And they said, oh, nothing really. I'm just going out there and and, uh, winging it. They'll say, you know, I'm really focused on this part of my technique or this part of the race. And so I get these family businesses and business owners, actually, just to to think like, okay, before that week starts, what are you going to be focusing on in terms of your communication, how you interact with others, how you perform your job? So it's all around this idea of reflective practitioner. Mm-hmm. And, and you mentioned their um, communication, and, and obviously that's really important within any business, aside from, from family business or not. Um, and so it, have you got specific examples of um, communication tools you use that, that apply this um, principle? Definitely. And uh, we actually, one of our exercises is called communicating in ways that actually work. And, you know, what's what's funny is, is that families, especially families have ways of listening to each other. If you and I were brothers and I'd listen to you for 30 years, when you start to speak, I actually, you know, almost don't even listen to you because I feel like I've heard everything you've had to say. So we start first with some listening exercises and teach people really to listen, to mirror back to each other, to confirm what they've heard. And so that's the part that's so tricky with families, just getting them to actually listen to each other and Mm -hmm. learn how to, you know, make clear requests of each other and learn how to manage their expectations of each other. You know, I've joked with some of my colleagues, we think that, uh, We could just have a business just about communication. Now, look, I'm sure over there in the UK, that's not an issue, perhaps. But if you look over here in the US, boy, uh, uh, communication is uh, is uh, quite, 
quite a, an issue in terms of how people react to each other, how they incite debate, how they have civil or not civil conversations. And, you know, now we've got a president that uh, tweets, you know, which is another form yeah. of communication. So, yeah, we... Communication's a big one we work on a lot. Yeah, and I, I don't think it's a, a, a US problem at all. Um, we, we see quite often um, here in the UK that communication is, is sort of the, the, one of the fundamental um, areas that could be uh, improved upon. Um, I think picking up on, on something else though, in terms of forms of communication, um, you're right in that when you're talking and, and communicating with family members, a lot of that communication could be through body language. And so you can you can tell the tone of um, the communication normally by the body language of the family member you're talking to, um, which um, can set the tone for the meeting and, and can um, put some pressure on um, if uh, you can see it's not being received because you can understand their, their body language rather than just what they're saying. Well, you know, it's very important. It's a good point. And one of the things that's interesting about coaching is providing outside perspective. So the other day, I actually had a family that was performing one of their first board meetings. So a lot of the families that I work with, the business is evolving. It's becoming more professional. It's becoming bigger. And so this was a family and they were having one of their first board meetings. And the sister said one thing to the other sister, and you could just see the reaction and you could see the emotions about to, you know, explode. And as the coach, I called a timeout Mm -hmm. and I said, I'm calling a timeout. Everybody take a five minute break. And I asked the one sister, I said, let's go take a little walk around the the factory, if you will. We took a little walk and I was able to point out to her. I said, I'm not sure if you realize, but when your sister said blank, here's the reaction you had. And she said, "Okay, you're right. And she calmed down and we got back in the meeting and had a very good meeting. But. The thing is, Russell, and this is the thing that's very interesting, too, like many times, the rational part of your brain literally gets hijacked by the irrational part of your brain, the the most primitive part of your brain. Mm So one sister said something, the other sister got hijacked. And if I hadn't been there, that hijacking might have turned into a family argument that would have left a terrible scar, which which would have had them retreat from the idea of having board meetings. But because I was an outsider and not, you know, caught in their drama, I was able to stop that and then create a different pattern. And this is the families have patterns of interacting that particular family is a bit volatile. They're a bit, um, they get pretty charged up. So by them learning how to react, take a deep breath, get back to calm conversation, they begin to build new neural pathways in their brain. They start mm-hmm. to train their brain for new ways of interacting. Well, which I, I guess is um, great to see from, from a, as you say, an external perspective that the impact that that can have on the um, performance of that business then. Well, really, and the long-term health of that family. So these sisters have children that'll come into the business. I have some families I work with that have 
fourth or fifth generation businesses that are thinking about the seventh, eighth or ninth generation. So the work that we're doing can have a really big impact in the long term trajectory of the family's health and success. Mm. And you you mentioned when you're describing that um, family that they're sort of starting their um, professionalization journey. Do do you think that's a stage in a a business's progression where there can be the the highest chance of volatility, where they're moving away from discussions around the kitchen table to, say, a boardroom um, and and formalizing things um, because it's not what they're used to? Well, I'll tell you, and that's a perfect question for this family, too, because dad is a bit of a cowboy is what we call it here in the Western U.S. He's a bit of a cowboy. He's a gunslinger. He's done very well. But the daughter left and went into corporate America for many years and came back with a new set of skills and practices. And dad is very frustrated. He's not valuing the uh, professionalism that the daughter's bringing. And quite honestly, this business now has grown into a bigger, more sophisticated business. So it's a great example of dad really wanting things to stay the way they are, but the business and the daughter really realizing we need to evolve. And that's been one of the main sources of conflict in that family. Wow. Uh, we, we see that here um, in the UK as well, not, not so much the, the gunslinging, but the um, the, the uh, external practices that are brought in from, say, a, a corporate world, um, and the view that, um, say, professionalization or governance uh, on a business can, can be seen as a break on the behaviors of the um, sort of owner, manager of the business, and that they think that all these rules are going to come in that will stop him running uh, or her running the business that they want to run. Um, is that something you see as well? Definitely. And, you know, like one of the things I've said is I started studying Buddhism a few years ago as a mindset, not as a religion. Mm -hmm. But um, I try to have loving compassion for these founders and these fathers and mothers because, look, they were raised at a certain time and they had a certain life experiences. And so, you know, the more we can hold each other's viewpoints as legitimate, the more we can start to have good, reasonable dialogue. And I was thinking of this this morning. I have a son that's 29 years old. And and this was a little bit of my uncle's story and my story. But my son is 29. He's successful in Hollywood, a young filmmaker. To this day, if we get in the car and he's driving, I'm a little less comfortable. Mm-hmm. I'm this. I'm a little anxious, but I know he's a good driver. I know that he knows what he's doing. But because I've always driven and I've always been the dad, it's really hard for me to turn it over to him, if you will. So one of the things that I bring to the families and another couple of exercises we have is just to try to teach them to view each other's point as legitimate, hold the other person's history and their values and the time they grew up in. And a lot of that will ease the situation and create a little bit of lightness. I call it lightness, L-I-G-H-T-N-E-S-S, lightness, a little bit of humor, a little bit of ease. 
that really helps the conversation a lot. Yeah, I was going to come on to that because um, if our audience don't know, um, you put out Facebook Live videos, um, which I think UK time is Thursday at 9.30, I think, in the, in the UK. Um, that sounds... And within those, you quite often um, use um, humour. And I'm wondering how important it is to incorporate humour and you mentioned right at the outset that life's short and I think if you can't sort of take a, a step back and laugh at things you, you're missing a trick of it um, but, but again in, in potentially volatile situations um, it's, uh, it's quite hard to inject a bit of humour w- without losing the emphasis um, but, but is it something that you use uh, on a regular basis? I really do and The brain scientists are really making a lot of progress in my uh, field. So we can see the parts of your brain that are active, that can solve problems, bring innovation, creativity. And so when I talk to you a certain way, that part of your brain can go dark. It'll like not like not having access to the Internet, if you will, resources. But when I use a little bit of humor and lightness, that part of your brain starts to light up. And so that's why humor and lightness is really important. But the other thing I do, Russell, too, is I try to help people really learn how to um, be in gratitude because so many of these families and I'm sure you see this in your work as well, when all the huffing and puffing and, you know, arguing with each other. If you can set that aside, we realize, you know, we've really got a great business here. We're very fortunate. We're very blessed to have an opportunity to make a good living, impact other people's lives. So gratitude's another piece of the puzzle to help set the right backdrop for the conversations. And with a lot of these families, I say, you know, we want to remember it's like the goose that lays the golden eggs. The the business throws the party. And we have these families that everybody's got their hands around the neck of the goose that's laying the golden eggs. And it's like, you know, everybody just step back and think about what we're doing here. Yeah. And one of the things we see, uh, and uh, our day job is um, financial planning, it is the, the misconception that um, money or wealth is our, our most important resource. Um, we, we think time is our most important resource or most valuable resource. Mm. Um, and the, the business, or as you say, the, the goose that lays the, the golden egg, it enables people to spend their time well, and they should be really grateful for that. Um, opportunity and not necessarily focus on the, uh, the dollar signs, um, but, but more so on what that would allow them to do with their time. Yeah. And, you know, but the other thing that just came to my mind when you were talking about that, too, is personal responsibility. So for me, I had to be responsible for my own happiness, for my own life. And in these families, there is at times a pattern where people take a bit of a victim mindset or they feel a little bit trapped or a prisoner in their family business. And so one of the things about coaching 
is, and again, this idea of reflective practitioner, for me to think about what's important and then for me to take personal responsibility for what I want, what I need, what I'm willing to give, the results I'm, I'm able to produce. And I think that's a really important cornerstone of high levels of happiness is for each person to be responsible for their own happiness. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Just going back to your own experience within um, the family business, do do you think if you'd have had access to um, a coach at the time you were having your difficulties, that using a coach would have led to different outcomes within your own business? Or is is, is that too difficult a question to... No, it's a, it's a really good question. It was funny because a part of this helped me in my journey. So one of the things that we do, and again, this is in our exercises, is help people identify their different personality types. So actually, I had somebody come try to sell me a personality assessment tool for my 150 employees. And I took the assessment and I started to have a great realization of the differences between my style and my uncle's style. And that started to lead me to the realization that those styles were so different and why they were causing stress. But the other thing, Russell, is in my family, we had... Uh, a dozen or so cousins by that time that were owners in the business and very few of them had interest in the business. So really our our business and every business has a life cycle like a person. So our business was sold 10 years after I left to a major corporation here in the U.S. And it was time for us, you know, sometimes in the world of business, these founders call the business kind of their baby. It was time for our family's baby to get handed off to someone else with bigger resources, with deeper pockets. And so like in that particular case, it probably never was going to make sense for me to like try to buy out all my cousins or for me to try to take on a huge amount of debt to try to pay them off. So really at the end of the day, the coaching and the tools that I started to get exposed to helped me realize that there was going to be an end to our family business. And so it really helped me, I guess, accelerate my own courage and determination to start to cut my own path. Mm. So so every family is different. And, and that's part of what families have to realize is that a, a business has a life cycle. So for some families, the way the business is set up or the number of people interested in the business, that will perpetuate. But for others, they need to realize that, you know, this this business might have a beginning, a middle and an end. And that's OK. Um, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you mentioned when we were speaking um before that you've um, written a a new book a a playbook Um, could you explain a little bit more about what what that involves yes thank you so I've created a playbook that has a series of very practical exercises and in fact I have a woman in the UK that is a, 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 a 
appear, if you will. And she just uh, gave me feedback the other day and said what she loved about the book is how practical the exercises are. So each exercise has a little bit of ideas, perhaps about communication or about conflict. And then it has a series of reflection questions that the family can embark upon on their own or with the help of an outsider like yourself or myself. And so, they're, but they're very practical they guide the family. So you and I read the article about conflict, and then there's a series of questions. It says, how do, you, how do you think you and I are doing about conflict? What gets in the way of conflict? What could we do different? So each of the exercises also have a question about the different ways we can do things in the future. And so the playbook has all of these exercises about communication, conflict, succession, uh, next generation development. And it also has a series of articles about why family businesses fail and how to deal with in-laws and how to create boundaries. So all of those are different topics that families can take on, study, discuss, and then make new promises to each other, which is another important part of deliberate practice is to, again, have some intention about new ways of doing things. And by the way, the uh, playbook, we have a, uh, a couple free, you know, little chunks of it at our website. We have something called the Family Business uh, Survival Kit, which is a, a great tool families can download and get some of those exercises just to kind of test drive, if you will. And we've also have the, the landmine detection map, which is a free tool that we give to families. Great. And what website can they find that on? The website is com, And as I say, there's a lot of videos. And, you know, you mentioned my Facebook page, which is great. But also I have a YouTube channel uh, for Coach Pete Walsh or the Family Business Performance Center that has a lot of all those videos are there. And, and these are all forms of deliberate practice. You know, this morning I was on a meditation site that I use every morning and I was able to tune into a person's morning meditation. And so there's a lot of different ways that people can start exercising and practicing and opening their mind up to new ways of looking at things. Yeah. And and do you think things like um, meditation is a, a good way of um, starting to gain focus on um, some issues. It, it, I don't um, do it particularly often, but, but I have done in the past, and it, it kind of gave some, some real focus at the time. Well, uh, definitely, and something also called mindfulness. Yeah. And again, we have another... A colleague who's over in Scotland, a guy named uh, Martin Stepping mm-hmm. that does great work in mindfulness. And I just have to tell the quick story. My mother is 85 years old. And the other day she said to me, oh, honey, you shouldn't have done blank. And I noticed in that split second, I was like an eight-year-old boy again. Mm-hmm. I was, I was you know, really felt ashamed of what I'd done, or I felt disappointed that I disappointed my mother. And I thought, wait a second, 
I'm a 55-year-old grown man, and what I did was fine, but mindfulness helped me realize all of that little stuff that was happening in the moment. Mm -hmm. And just to be able to say to my mom, thank you for giving me that thought, mother, and, you know, (laughs) so mindfulness is another really important tool for families to uh, to get. And like, again, in that moment, I, I had to laugh at myself. I thought, wow, this is so cool. I mean, like curiosity and wonder. I was like, how cool is that? In a split second, something your mother said, had you revert back to being an eight-year-old yeah. boy? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I think um, mindfulness um, is something that's um, catching on over here a little bit. Um, more now it's um, still relatively new as, as, a, as sort of a, a concept or an idea but it is something that again um, things like reflective statements at, at the end of the day um, to, to help clear your mind and, and sleep better and, and things like that are all part of um, mindfulness and I think that can have if you're if you're taking home frustrations from um, work or, or within the family business having uh, some some time to reflect at the end of each day means you don't carry that into um, poor sleep and then waking up the next day feeling um, groggy and grumpy. Oh, which then leads to more um, bad patterns. And, you know, like, so, yeah, if you if you just keep throwing stuff in your closet and you never clean the closet out, organize mm-hmm. it, throw some things out, you know, it's going to be a problem. So your brain is the same way. You got to, you got to kind of do some spring cleaning and some upkeep. And, and the thing is also Russell, and this is a great example of this podcast. So people listening to different podcasts, there's so many wonderful teachers out there Mm -hmm. and so many wonderful ideas. So I try to take a little bit of time each day and open myself up to some new ideas. And so, um, my son, I said this in Hollywood. So I have a choice every evening. I could either watch some, uh, some sort of violence or sex on TV, or I could watch something that, um, creates a different energy about attitude or helping others or, you know, making the world a better place. So those are all examples. Again, another example of a little deliberate practice. My teacher 20 years ago gave me, I very rarely ever have the radio on in my car when I drive around because, you know, when I turn it on, most of the stuff I listen to is just going to make me scared or agitated about what's happening. So those are other little forms of deliberate practice that I take good care of my brain. And, uh, and so it's a really, uh, it's a good example of what we can do to manage our own energy and our own mindset. Absolutely. I, I avoid the morning news for, for exactly the same reason, because bad news sells and so if you just uh, the first thing you do when you uh, wake up is watch um, the morning news it, it can um, set you up for the day with a, a depressing um, tone well but it also brings up another point see for families I try to help them get clear about the narratives they're creating the stories they're creating mm. 
So what is the story of this family business? It is, is it a hero's journey? Is it, you know, are we creating the next chapter? Are we, is this family business having a great impact on our family and our community we live in? And so, and guess how, where stories live? Stories live in our speaking. So that's back to be helping families become more aware and more skillful in their communication with each other mm. and their staff for that matter. Yeah. We like to include within um, each podcast a, a tip that you would give, given your experience both within your own family business and, and the work you do now. Um, it's often quite difficult to say there's one tip, but, but is there one thing you would suggest um, family businesses look at over anything else? Well, you know, it's um, uh, since you asked, thank you. I really encourage people to sit down and get clear about what their values are. Your values are like your guiding stars. And so that was an important part of me and my uncle's journey, our family business's journey. So, you know, again, we have a tool called 100 Values, which really helps people get clear about what's most important to them. And in the family business, those values will then help guide your decision making and help you create a vision for your business and a vision for your own personal life within the business. So I, one of the things we do with the families is to help them get clear what's important to you and what is your vision for your business and your life within the business. And Russell, it's amazing how often people really haven't taken the time. They haven't given themselves permission to do that. And so I think those are a couple of things that could really help people get clear about what's most important. And then once you get clear about that, that will guide your decision making and your interactions with each other. Absolutely. We're strong advocates of that ourselves. It's something that um, we try to get people to focus on is is exactly that. So um, I wholeheartedly agree with with that. Um, We're coming up to the... um, end of the, the time slot so um, just so our audience can um, can come and find a bit more about you um, you've mentioned your website but you're also on uh, Facebook and Twitter I am and so it would have been really great if I thought about that just a little bit before the show but <laughs> on Facebook you I'm pretty sure can search for Family Business Performance Center and on Twitter it's family business coach or family biz coach. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those are places to find us as well. And, and, uh, you know, I really want to acknowledge you for reaching out and the difference that you're making both in your community and, uh, really worldwide. You just never know where these podcasts go and where they end up. And so I just really want to acknowledge you for reaching out and, and, uh, giving me a chance to be a part of the difference you're making for others. That's fine. It's been an absolute pleasure, Pete, and and thank you very much for your um, time. And um, I'm sure we'll be uh, recording future episodes together as well. So um, if you're uh, you're happy to, then uh, we'll keep in touch. 
I'll look forward to it. And let's talk about some more family stories. And I think that's a good way for people to learn and to really get some practical insights into their own family. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll, we'll get something in the diary and, and, and uh, we'll, we'll definitely do this again. Russell, thank you so much and have a great rest of your day. Angie, thanks, Pete. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fanbizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.